0: Hi, everyone. This is Erica Carbajal with Becker's Hospital Review, and thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Becker's Healthcare Podcast Series. Today, we're joined by Greg Howard. He's the Director of Hospital Interoperability Sales at Zoll Data Systems, and he's going to be discussing how the data gap across the continuum of care can really create significant challenges when it comes to tracking stroke, STEMI, and trauma team performance against KPIs, as well as educating hospital and EMS providers. Greg, thanks so much for taking the time to be on today.
1: Yeah, thank you for the opportunity.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, we're going to be discussing how the data gap across the continuum of care can really create significant challenges when it comes to tracking stroke, STEMI, and trauma team performance against KPIs, as well as educating hospital and EMS providers. So, let's start there with, with the data gap component. You know, that's something we hear a lot about in healthcare. So, Greg, what do you mean when you talk about the data gap across the continuum of care?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, from an emergency medical services standpoint, as a former paramedic and a flight paramedic who's dropped off a lot of patients at hospitals, the, some of the stuff that EMTs and paramedics do doesn't carry over to the hospitals for, for a lot of different reasons. Either people are too busy, um, there's a technological gap, uh, are probably two of the primary reasons. The, the things that EMS does to the patient in the field can significantly impact the patient's length of stay. This is a fact check. Paramedics specifically can administer 40 to 50 different types of medications, do very invasive life-saving uh, procedures like defibrillation, cardioversion, but also putting needles in people's chest to, to release the air, putting needles in people's necks to, so they can breathe um, are probably kind of the, the, the high-end procedures, but the things that they do Changes the course of the patient's stay in the hospital, sometimes for more or less. And making sure that information is effectively communicated to the receiving clinician is important for patient safety, primarily. So you want to say, hey, if I give 10 milligrams of morphine or 150 micrograms of fentanyl, it's a very important piece of information. So the patient still remains, has a level of comfort, or they don't over or under the patients so that information is pretty critical when it comes to patient safety.
0: Yeah, absolutely and I can see where that can be a tough thing or challenging with with trauma patients or emergency patients uh, with with those quick handoffs. Greg, how many cardiac patients would you say are pre-scheduled compared to those that are arriving by ambulance in those emergency situations?
1: Yes, I I that's a hard number to quantify. A lot of it depends on the location, the population, because you know if people are having an emergency, it's nearly impossible to predict emergencies. If you could, you'd be a millionaire. I think the, the big question there is more of your current scheduling workload, and then you have um, an emergency come in that might displace or cancel or delay a normally elective procedure. So being able to kind of alert the hospitals ahead of time, um, either through a radio or through um, through technology, is going to give the receiving clinicians, the trauma, stroke, STEMI, the sepsis people, um, the time to prepare, either to move different types of procedures around, call in additional resources. So again, those patients who they're currently treating can still continue the care they have and they can adequately prepare for the patients that are incoming that are unscheduled.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Communication, being proactive with that, being able to, to free up different things and, and to make room for those emergency cases sounds really key. Now, what is it about patients who are arriving by ambulance that post additional special data problems in the cardiac system of care specifically? How does the receiving cardiac team use data from EMS providers?
1: Yeah, the, I'm going to answer that question two ways. Uh, the first one is going to be part of the alerting and the preparedness. The second one's going to be part of like the custodial medical record and the data quality and and KPI standpoint. So, from an alerting standpoint, you know, as a paramedic, I I, I want the cath lab to be ready for me, right? I don't want to wait. The patient's time is myocardium, and the longer they delay and definitive, whether it be um, me- mechanical inflation or pharmacological um, uh, thrombolysis, we want to make sure that patients getting as, the the safest, fastest care as possible. So so if I send a 12-lead, so if I'm in the field and I have my monitor and I can send that 12-lead ahead of time to the cardiologist, the cardiologist can look in his or her phone and say, yeah, that looks like a 12-lead, that looks like STEMI. Let's alert the cath lab and it gives people time. Um, if I can stream like, through my whole monitor, I can stream the data to the receiving hospital. They can actually look at the information live on a monitor on their phone. To see what's going on with the patient, so 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 that's the first part of the data gap is is connecting that so that physician or that healthcare provider has visibility into what's going on in the field. I mean, I, I'm I think I was, I thought it was pretty good at taking care of patients, but you know sometimes some patients don't fit the protocol and they do a lot of weird things, and having another set of eyes on that care is pretty critical. So. That's the first part of learning. The second part is the custodial medical record. After the patient gets to hospital, a hospital needs to to track things from a data standpoint, to report on things for data standpoint for an accreditation. So there's an accreditation body who comes in and says, Yeah, you're doing all these things. Great. You get stamped, you're accredited. And sometimes those processes are done through spreadsheets. Um, they're done through word of mouth. If I if uh, as a paramedic, I want follow-up, I have to call Tom over at the at the cath lab and ask them how the patient did. And so there's a big gap there from a data standpoint. So if you have a STEMI coordinator, whose job is to making sure that everyone is um, efficient, there was, you know, all the steps in the process are as, as refined as possible. And then to be able to report that data out to the crediting bodies can be very time consuming. If you digitize that process, then you can now give that time back to that person or those people so they can go focus on more important tasks like quality, like educating, um, educating their own staff or educating the community, uh, doing research on where to put AEDs, you know, so you can look at hot spots and, um, you know, do some very focused community outreach programs.
0: Yeah, thanks, Greg. It sounds like that, that real-time streaming aspect, too, sounds like it, it would be a really huge game-changer for the cardiac teams in the hospital. Greg, are there any other kinds of data that are commonly missing that maybe we haven't mentioned yet?
1: Yeah, a lot of that depends on the systems of care. And, and you know, obviously, different areas, whether you're in the city, you're uh, rural, or you're super rural, really kind of dictates that answer. Um, in the city, you know, you, you might be literally across the street from the trauma center or the, the STEMI center. So there might not be enough time to notify if you're super, super rural, it might be a lot of time. Um, so depending on the, the technology available to that, um, ambulance service or, or helicopter service is is really going to be the answer to that question. Um, is, is the first thing. The second thing is really the, the, Resource availability in the hospital—they have to have make sure that they have people to receive that communication. So sometimes that's done through a radio. A lot of ta- it, well, a lot of times it's done through a radio or a phone. But that process needs to be digitized so it can then be quantified. You can route that information to the right endpoint. I want to answer the the question kind of backwards. I don't see what's missing, but really what's important is going to be uh, in the context of a of a STEMI patient is going to be the twelve lead is being able the be alert. Having um, someone at the receiving end of that of that message to be able to bring in the right resources, um, the cath lab team on a Sunday night at one a.m. to you know very f- efficiently and safely treat that patient. So that's probably the biggest thing. Honestly, as, a, as vital signs and certain things like that in an emergency, they're not really that important. Like they, you're going to get the patient no matter what, whether the patient's got a if they've got um, a low blood pressure or normal blood pressure or high blood pressure, you're still going to treat the patient based off what you see. So, um, it's, it's the alerting is going to be the key point there.
0: Greg, can you also touch on how patient data from pre-hospital, so EMS providers is imported to the EHR?
1: Um, sure. I I know a little bit about that there. Fortunately there's two big industry standards in the, Going on right now. One of them, from an EMS standpoint, is called Nemesis. Uh, Nemesis is the National EMS Information System. You can Google Nemesis.org, and it tells you all about the data standards on a national level. There's some really, really great smart people running Nemesis, and um, they're standardizing data across the board from EMS. Um, and then in the hospital healthcare healthcare world, which is completely different from EMS, they don't they have different languages. They use things like HL7, CCDA, are fire, and um, Zoll is, and specifically uh, in the in this context, Zoll is um, really good software to connect those two worlds together using our our matching algorithms and our um, our software to transmit that information real time. So we get the data from EMS, we get the data from hospital, we we match it, um, and then we send it back yeah. to the right. Um, both back to EMS from a follow-up standpoint, so they can get updated patient outcome or updated billing information, so they can uh, continue with their their billing business practices, and the hospital gets all that information that can digitally go into their hospital EMR systems, and that ba- basically replaces, you know, paper, fax, or a manual manual uploading into the system. So the the technology to be able to connect the two is 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 a lot of fun right now.
0: Yeah, thanks for sharing some of those resources. And without any data standards across the continuum of care, can you talk about how those responsible for ensuring compliance and accreditation accountability can get the info they need?
1: Yeah, I think that's an easy one. That's the if you don't have any base standards, you you there is no way to kind of benchmark or have any KPIs of performance. So everything's all over the place. No one people may be documenting things, but it's in in locations that are really unusable. You know, if you have unstructured formats that just every data has to be um, important, needs to be customized, you might as well just stay on archaic systems because you're not improving your current workflow. With the standards, you know, the same information goes to the same spot at the same time from multiple different vendors. So that allows you to have baseline KPIs. If And so um, a good example is um, if you want to do um, a QA program on strokes. So we can sort by a stroke diagnosis or an IC10 IC code and then in compare that to what the EMS electronic patient care record does on a national level using NEMSIS. And so that way we can see, look at times, you know, what was the scene time? Is it above or below, you know, an in industry standard? We can look at you know, was was there a last known well time documented? Is that last known well time within a window for therapeutic treatment in a hospital, um, or uh, and what procedures were done to that patient based off the level of acuity or the length of stay in that hospital? So you can't do anything without any kind of real standards to to work off of.
0: So, so knowing and hearing a lot about these data interoperability issues, can you talk about how Zoll Care Exchange can help address some of these challenges and what sort of impact it has on patient outcomes?
1: Yeah, that's the kind of fun part of the job um, is working with some very smart people to to analyze the data. Coming back to the KPI conversation and looking for trends of things that of goals you're trying to do so. If the goal if the goal is from time of injury or insult to therapeutic care, meaning um, in, in a trauma situation an OR in a neurological situation, you know uh, cerebral reperfusion or a cardiac scenario of obviously cardiac reperfusion, you know the time between insult and injury is like, what do we want to look at? Where do we reduce some of the time? How do we educate you know providers both in the hospital, in, in EMS, starting in the EMS, or even the community educating the people to recognize strokes, call nine one one, get an ambulance there, have the ambulance providers be able to do the the therapies and advanced notifications, get the patient the right hospital, um, and we all want to we want to do that obviously very safe, but also very fast, so the patient gets uh, maximizes um, the therapies involved and then has a good outcome. So the goal is to really have them walk out of the hospital at the end of the day. And sort you know, sometimes the all those, that chain of survival, it's called it a chain of survival, is sometimes it all works and sometimes there's little broken links. But being able to make sure you connect all those dots is important. A, a really good example is when I, I was a paramedic, my medical director was, he was a paramedic, went to medical school, obviously became an emergency physician, a uh, great guy. Um, and one of the things he did is that we had access to go directly to the cath lab so we're in the field and we did a 12 lead and we sent it in we didn't stop at the er you know so we stopped at the er that could be 5 10 15 20 minutes to do a ekg or a lab or a physician exam or whatever we skip that step and go straight to the cath lab um, on a helicopter there's been many, many times when I had a traumatic situation, I would go from the field, from the farmer's field, from a you know, a farmer who got his arm stuck in a combine, straight to the OR. Like I skip the ER, upstairs, walk in the OR, and then they're doing surgery by the time of walking out. And that's kind of an advanced case, but you have scenarios like that where you can really impact patient care. And that's the things you want to do to to narrow down the time from a quality standpoint.
0: Yeah, thanks for sharing those different examples and really at the heart of it all is reducing that time and getting patients the care they need as as fast as possible in in all those different scenarios. Greg, as we wrap up, can you talk a bit more about how much time and investment ZolCare Exchange would require and where listeners can learn more?
1: In the big picture of of integrations, um, we use a company called Redox, which is is an interface engine tool, Um, They do a lot of the translations for us. So our project specifically takes about 50 to 60 hours, which is um, kind of what's on the very smaller side of interface project when you compare it to the large EMRs. Uh, So it's not that hard to stand up if you have a Redox connection, you have about you know a total of about 50, 60 hours to do. And then they're solving all of the problems that we kind of talked about, whether it's the paper, fax, or manual process looking up the, stro- the, the stroke stem your trauma registrars trying to compile the data um, into a place to send off for accreditation since they have access to that. So there's a lot of downstream cost savings from a personnel workforce standpoint. The best place to get any information on on ZOL or our interface is um, our website, um, zoldata.com HL7. Um, all of my contacts on, on information's on there. There's some fun little videos and some content on there as well.
0: Greg, thanks so much for sharing all of this with us today. And we also want to thank Zoll Data Systems podcast sponsor and listeners. You can tune into more episodes by visiting the podcast page on Becker's website. Thank you all.